Well, good morning. As you're aware now, uh, Pastor Zach and I have trading spaces, and so I am both excited and thankful to be able to bring the final message in our spiritual discipline series. I shared this quick, uh, cute story this morning. My wife is one of my greatest supports. She does things like pray for me. In fact, anytime I'm going to speak, I can always feel just a hand rub on my back, and I know that that rub means she's praying for me during that time, and she did that both services this morning. But one of the things that she does is she watches out after me, and so in first service, she leaned over and she said, are your jeans zipped? Now, do you want to know why she said that? Because it's happened before. There was a time where I was standing in front of a group of people like you, and guess what? They weren't zipped. There was another time where my zipper broke, and I had to stand behind the podium the entire time. So uh, I love my wife. I love the support and prayer that she offers. Well, uh, six weeks ago, we began a conversation about eight life-giving and sometimes challenging practices for everyone who says, hey, I follow Jesus and I want to be like him. I say sometimes challenging because more than practices, these are disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, as we've learned, are habits, practices, and experiences that simply help us become more like Jesus. The effective practice of spiritual disciplines requires understanding their purpose. It requires intentionality, and it requires consistency. And when these things are absent, um, we struggle in the disciplines, and our spiritual growth is stunted. And so with that, that's why for the past five weeks and today, week six, We've intentionally been looking at, discussing, talking about the spiritual disciplines because we want to make sure that we're all growing in the understanding of the disciplines and that we're also growing in our consistent uh, and intentional practice of meditating on God's Word, of solitude, fellowship, fasting, worship, confession, service, and the discipline that we'll focus on today, celebration. You see, these are all tangible steps. Listen to this. They help us die to ourselves so that we can live to God's purposes. Would you join me as I pray once again for our service? Father God, thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Thank you that you have stamped your image in us and that we desire to be more like you, and we thank you for the disciplines that you've provided so that we can grow. I pray today that as we focus on the discipline of celebration, that you would plant it deep or deeper in our hearts than ever before, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on May 7th, 1945, the formal act of surrender was signed by Germany, ending the war in Europe. The war had affected every aspect of life for the people in Great Britain. Their working hours grew longer. Their entertainments were halted. Blackouts cast gloom over their evenings, and rationing was in full force. Virtually every household item was in short supply or unobtainable. 
The German bombing campaign brought great destruction and devastation and death with more than 60,000 civilians losing their life. And in addition to the overwhelming amount of death, homes and workplaces and public buildings were destroyed. The streets were reduced to piles of brick and mortar rubble. But on May 8, 1945, one day after the formal surrender, Winston Churchill declared the occasion a public holiday, VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. You see, despite the years of hardship, six years of hardship that the people of Great Britain had endured, the ending of the war for them was brought great hope and great joy. And so as a result, celebrations erupted throughout the country. There was dancing in the streets. Look at this. They sang in the streets. They threw parties in the streets. Celebration broke out in every home and every family. They gathered uh, in, uh, in Piccadilly Circus, that's where this is, uh, and, the, whoops, I looked at the wrong picture, they gra- and they gathered outside of uh, Whitehall because they, in London because they wanted to hear um, uh, Winston Churchill give a speech. And then they gathered outside Buckingham Palace uh, where the royal family would appear on the balcony. There was a young girl by the name of Elizabeth and her sister Margaret, and they actually made their way out beyond the walls of their home to celebrate in the streets with all the crowds. That young Princess Elizabeth would later become Queen Elizabeth. She joined in the celebrations. The celebrations weren't limited to Europe. Uh, New York City was the site of the largest VE Day celebration in the United States with literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathering in Times Square. Uh, One of the greatest or most famous artifacts from the Times Square gathering is this photo known as the Sailor's Kiss. Look at that. They were having a party that day. The celebration continued, and the crowds began to make their way down in a parade down Fifth Avenue while storms of confetti rained down on them. The end of the war brought celebration. Don't you just love a good celebration? We love grand parties and grand celebrations, whether it be uh, celebrating championship sports teams, Super Bowl, World Series, or whether it's welcoming our our, our, our Olympians home from the Olympics, or maybe it's throwing a party or a parade for astronauts who have returned from from space, or maybe they return from the moon. We love grand parties and parades. But we also celebrate anything that Hallmark deems as a card-worthy occasion, right? A little money-making thing there, whether it be uh, weddings, anniversaries, births, graduations, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Boss's Day, milestones, victories, and, of course, birthdays. Everybody loves a good birthday celebration. In fact, I think that there are people in this room, you don't celebrate your birthday just for a day. You celebrate your birthday for a week. Raise your hand if that's you. How many of you actually celebrate your birthday for an entire month? Be honest. Yeah, more hands go up. Yeah, we love a good party. When I turned 40, which was a few years ago, um, 
Cammie decided that she wanted to mark that milestone with a 40th birthday party. So she secured a, a venue. It was a beautiful outdoor uh, at the home of, of one of our, uh, someone who went to our church. There was also a gentleman in our church. His name is Mark Ray. And Mark Ray was a well-renowned DJ in the L.A. area. He actually um, uh, catered to, to the rich and famous of Beverly Hills. And so Cammie had a thought, I'm going to call Mark to see how much it would cost to have him DJ my birthday party. And so she puts in a call to Mark, and she said, Mark, hey, how much do you charge to DJ birthday parties? And he gave her this astronomical number. There were a lot of zeros after it. And she goes, okay, I just wondered. <laughs> and he said, well, Cammie, why do you ask? And he said, well, uh, she said, well, Stan's 40th birthday is coming up. And I thought, maybe, just maybe you could DJ it. But I, I can't afford it. He said, for Pastor Stan, he said, it's free. I would be more than happy to do it. So the day comes. We've invited about 40 people, and Mark is there, and Mark knows how to throw a party. He knows how to get everybody engaged, laughing, dancing, having fun. And so, like I said, we invited about 40 people, but then we began to look around, and we began to see people that we didn't know. <laughs> and the crowd continued to grow and grow because what we found out is people were calling their friends and saying, you got to get over to this birthday celebration. I've never been in anything like this. And before the night was over, there were more than 120 people at my 40th birthday party, many of whom we didn't know. <laughs> Listen, we celebrate not because we have to, but because we want to. And I am convinced that our love for celebration is a creative act of God. I am convinced that he creatively placed in us, when he was forming us in the womb, this passion, this desire, even this need to celebrate. Celebration is just a natural part of our lives. And while this is true, uh, I want to tip our thinking just a little bit this morning. It is true that celebration is a natural part of our lives, but... Have you ever considered that celebration is a God-given, faith-filled, spiritual growth-producing discipline? Let me ask that question one more time. Have you ever considered that celebration is a God-given gift and faith-filled, spiritual growth-producing discipline? And maybe right now you're saying, are you serious, Pastor Stan? Really? How could something so frivolous, so whimsical, so fun-filled be considered spiritual? Aren't Christians supposed to be serious? Aren't Christians supposed to be uptight? Aren't we supposed to be examples of piety and holiness? And isn't smiling forbidden? Because someone might think that we are involved or indulging in some kind of sinful, sordid pleasure. No, no, <laughs> no. None of that's true. And if you've bought into the myth, or if you've been taught 
somehow that when you become a Christian, you have to check in your smile at the door and become a long-faced Louis or Louise, then listen, please be released from that fallacy today. It is not true. <laughs> Celebration is a God-given gift. Listen to this. And not only should we embrace celebration as a spiritual discipline and a Christian practice, but we should understand that celebration strengthens us to live within all the other spiritual disciplines. You know why? Because celebration keeps our focus on the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. Celebration keeps us focused on understanding how great our God is at all times. We sang this morning, he won't fail. He won't fail. He won't fail. This morning, I want to give some tangible and practical wings to celebration, and we'll begin with asking the question, just what is it? And if you're taking notes, you might want to write some of these things down. Celebration is the discipline of celebrating God. It's the discipline of celebrating God. Celebration is a way of engaging in actions that direct us towards worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Celebration is taking pleasure in the never-changing presence of God in our lives. Celebration is joy expressed for God's attention to the plans and the details of our life. Uh, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard wrote this about celebration. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, and our world in conjunction with our faith and our confidence in God's greatness, his beauty, and his goodness. We concentrate on our life and our world, listen to this, as God's work and as God's gift to us. In simplest form, celebration is finding joy and pleasure in all things in and around us because they are God's gift to us. We actually, as Christ followers, can enjoy life. We can smile. We can laugh. We can have a good time. It's a form of celebration. The Scottish Olympian and missionary Eric Little maybe gives us one of the best personal examples of celebration when he said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric Little found great pleasure in knowing that as God was knitting him together in his mother's womb, that God placed in him not only the ability to run, but the ability to run fast. And according to Eric, it went, when he was running, when he was running fast, that he most experienced the presence of God. He found pleasure in it, and that experience, that pleasure moved him to celebrate who God is as the creator. 
Let me ask you this morning, what is it that moves you to celebrate God? If you are unsure about celebration as a spiritual discipline this morning, I want to move you to the side of certainty with three, what I would say are undeniable truths. And here's truth number one. Celebration should be included in our spiritual practices because God celebrates. God celebrates. How do you know that, Pastor Stan? Listen to uh, a verse in uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that pretty incredible to know that God rejoices over you? God takes delight in you. He sings over you. Listen to this in a different translation, the uh, contemporary English version. The Lord your God wins victory after victory and is always with you. Listen to this. He celebrates and sings because of you, and he will refresh your life with his love. There again, he celebrates. God celebrates. But it's not just that God celebrates. God celebrates you. God celebrates me. It's not like he just looks down on the crowd and celebrates, but he sees you as an individual. And he celebrates, he rejoices, he sings, he delights over you. But for some of us, perhaps we have a hard time actually believing that God rejoices over me or you, that he celebrates you, that he delights in you. Maybe it's because of a past that you've had. Maybe it's because of sin. Maybe it's because of your family of origin and the way you were brought up. And you just think, you know, God can delight in everybody else, but not in me. Some years ago, Cammie recalls a time in a worship service where she was challenged to um, think about how great the love of God the Father was for her. So as she began to ponder and to consider, she began to think about her earthly father with whom she had a really good relationship. And so her response to God was, yes, God, thank you. I know you love me and I know you love me more than I could begin to imagine. Yes, you love me. And there was a pause and then she heard God speak to her. And he said, yes, I know that you know I love you. But you think I'm disappointed in you. And she said at that moment, she realized that was a perspective that she had. God loved her, but he was disappointed in her. And that began a journey in her spiritual life where she began to seek out to learn about the love of the Father and overcome the lie that she had believed that he was disappointed in her. And I would imagine in a crowd of people this size, thinking through all of the things of life that we have to deal with, 
in all kinds of pasts that we might have had, that there would be people here today and you're thinking the same thing. I know God loves me, but he's disappointed in me. God couldn't rejoice over me because he's so disappointed. And listen to me today. Whomever that might be in this room, that is not true. That is not true. It's not true. It's not true. No longer believe that lie. You see, when you wake up in the morning, God is rejoicing over you. He delights in you. He sings over you. And it's not because of something good that you just did. It's that God celebrates and he celebrates you. And when you're going throughout your day, guess what? God is singing over you. He's looking down. And there's times where he's watching you. And he just has this, his love is so great. He goes, that's my son. That's my daughter. And I'm so proud Again, not because of some great thing that you just accomplished, because that's who he is. And I would imagine that in the course, yes, let's thank God for that. And I would imagine that in the course of your day, as God is watching you and his love is flowing out, that something begins to happen in heaven. Because not only does he sing, but he dances. He dances over you. Look, look what's going on. Can you believe that? He's singing. He's dancing. And when you go to bed at night and while you're sleeping, he's singing over you. He's delighting in you. He's rejoicing in you. And guess what? When you sin, he still loves you. And you know what he does? He sings songs of deliverance over you because Jesus has already paid the price. And when you're sick, you know what he does? He rejoices over you by singing songs of healing. God is so proud of you. He's not disappointed. And we have to stop believing anything less. I have to imagine that last week when that baptistry was down here, the pool, and as people began to come and step into the pool. God was rejoicing. He wasn't rejoicing over the number. That didn't make a difference to God. If it had have just been one, God would have been rejoicing. And as from young to the oldest stepped into the waters, I think God started dancing. I think he started calling for the angels in heaven. Hey, look what's going down there. Join me in the party. Let's celebrate. Let's sing out our hallelujahs because that means lives have been transformed through the power of Jesus. That was the party that was going on in heaven. Yes. God rejoices in us. So I, I, I love... Uh, I, I love this fact. Celebration is an essential expression of God's character. So when he created us, he stamped us with his image. As Christ followers, our chief aim and goal 
is to grow in his image, to be like him. We want his nature, his attributes, his, his, his qualities, his character to grow in us. And this includes celebration because God celebrates. Uh, Leonard Sweet, who is an American theologian, said, There's no excuse for a sad sack wallflower spirituality. God's party is never bare and God's party is never dull. Listen, we serve a God who celebrates. He loves fun. He loves laughter. He is the origin of it. And the simple conclusion is that if God celebrates, guess what? We should celebrate. Truth number two. Celebration should be included in our spiritual practices because celebration is the way of Jesus. Think about this. Jesus entered the world on a high note of celebration. Luke chapter 2. Uh, verses 8 through 10, we typically hear this during the Christmas season. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for everyone. The birth announcement of Jesus was an announcement of celebration. Not only did he begin or come into the world on a high note of celebration, but he began his ministry with a high note of celebration. Um, In Luke chapter 4, we read about one particular day, one particular Sabbath, where Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he began to read from one of the scrolls. It was a reading from Isaiah, and this is what it said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus talking about? What was filled? Listen to this. In Jewish law, there was a radical society-shaping command. We find it described in Leviticus chapter 25. Every half century, God declared a jubilee year. It was an economic and social reset for Israel. In this year, enslaved Israelites were liberated, and the poor reclaimed the land of their ancestors, thus eliminating generational and economic oppression. No crops were planted in this year, so there was no harvesting. It was a year-long celebration of God's provision. The Israelites celebrated because they knew God could be trusted to provide everything they had need of in that year. The Jubilee year dream echoes through the Isaiah passage that Jesus chose to read. With these words, Jesus announced a new Jubilee. He made it known that he was the final fulfillment of Jubilee, and he came to offer greater freedom and restoration, not only to Israel, but to all the world. It's a liberating freedom that has the power to transform our daily lives and our eternal destiny. He's forgiven us of our sins, and he's released us from sin and death's stronghold, and he's prepared a place for us 
Guess what it's called? Heaven. What greater reasons would we need to celebrate when we think of what God has done? We live in a constant state of jubilee. We live in freedom. We're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer slaves to sin and death. That's reason for celebration. Amen? You missed a great opportunity just then. So go ahead. Yeah. So Jesus entered the world on a high note of celebration. And he, uh, his ministry began with a high note of celebration. But he also uh, left the world on a high note of celebration. He handed a high note of celebration down to his disciples. Uh, just hours before his crucifixion, this is what Jesus spoke to the disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I don't know if you caught this, but joy has been the theme from the beginning to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the truth that he drives home to the disciples is that genuine joy results from obedience. In other words, he's saying, if you will keep the rule of life that I've taught you, that I've modeled for you in these three years that you've been with me, you will be filled with joy. Here's what that means for us. When we allow the transformational power of Jesus to work in our lives, when we surrender to that, we begin to change. Again, the old is gone and the new has come. Our behavior, the motives for our behavior changes and as those changes take place, joy becomes greater and greater and greater and greater in our lives through our obedience to the way of Jesus. It's really that simple. Joy is the seed and the fertilizer of celebration. And joy comes through obedience. Truth number three. Celebration should be included in our spiritual practices because celebration is woven throughout the Bible. Looking back to the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites had a routine of celebration. These were their annual feasts. There was the, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. These were all times of high celebration. But then we move on to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we find King David dancing in celebration as the Ark of the Covenant is being returned to Jerusalem. And then we go to Lamentations chapter 3, and we find Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. And even Jeremiah is celebrating the great love and unfailing compassion of God. And then we come to the New Testament in John chapter 2. Jesus celebrated at the wedding at Cana. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in jail. They were chained up, and they began to celebrate by singing praise to God. And here's what we know for that. We don't just celebrate when everything's going good. We celebrate in the highs, 
and we celebrate in the lows because God is faithful. He won't fail us. And then we go to Revelation chapter 19. And the entire chapter is a chapter of celebration. It's a celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus Christ the Lamb and his marriage to us, the church, that takes place in heaven where we will live with him forever. Isn't that incredible to think that we will live in a constant state of celebration? Celebration is woven throughout the Bible, but here's an even greater way to think about it. The Bible in its entirety is a celebration of God's love for the world. If you've read through the Bible, you know that there's some pretty gruesome stuff, particularly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus was crucified, a bloody crucifixion on a cross. But all throughout, there's one love story, a story of celebration woven all the way through. And it's the story of God's love for us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we will be able to celebrate with him forever in heaven because Jesus paid the price for us on the cross celebration. That's what the Bible is all about. So if we take these truths, God celebrates. Celebration is the way of Jesus. Celebration is woven throughout the Bible. There's only one conclusion that we can land on. If celebration, and it is, if celebration is an essential part, expression of God's character, then as Christ followers and God's image bearers, celebration should be an essential part, an essential expression of our character, celebration for us should be a consistent way of life. I asked the question earlier, but I'll ask it again. When are you most prone, apart from the times that you're here on Sunday morning, when are the times that you are most prone to celebrate God and his goodness? Is it when you're alone? Is it when you're with others? Is it during times of worship? Is it in music? Is it in nature? For Eric Little, it was while he was running that he celebrated God. For Cammy, it's in dancing. There's a sign in our kitchen at home that says this kitchen was made for dancing. And her confession is that when she's home alone and the music's playing, and listen, whether it be worship music, Rascal Flats, or Michael Buble, something begins to well up in her, that creative act of celebration that God put in her, and she begins to dance and celebrate God. Last weekend, for Anna Avito, who was one of our apprentices, she celebrated during the baptism. I watched her kneel here, weeping, first as her younger brother Christian climbed into the pool. He was baptized, and she just cried, and she cried. Christian came, and he stood over here because next, Anna's mom made her way, and she climbed into the baptism pool. And she went under the water and she came up. And Anna cried and cried. And then Anna's mom moved over here. And now Anna and Anna's mom are both weeping because 
If that weren't enough, Anna's grandmother. Anna's grandmother made her way. A little lady, gray-haired lady, climbed into that pool. Anna's weeping. She's celebrating, tears of celebration. Her mom's celebrating through tears. Her, her grandmother climbs into the baptism pool. She goes down under the water, and guess what she does when she comes up? She celebrates because she comes up like this. And her mouth is moving, and she's speaking and singing praise to God because she knew the goodness of God. They were celebrating together, and I have to believe once again that God was looking down in heaven, and he was dancing, and he was singing, and he was saying, I'm so proud of that family. I'm so proud, and he was singing over them, and he was rejoicing, and he invited the angels in heaven to join in the party to delight with him because God celebrates. When are you most prone to celebrate God's presence? For Larry Durham, Larry Durham and his wife Nikki lead one of our life groups here at the church. For Larry, he experiences God's presence. He celebrates God's presence as he writes. He's a really good writer, and he writes about what God is doing. And so he sent us this that he wrote after the baptism last week. He writes, this past Sunday was Baptism Sunday at our church, Grace Covenant Church in Cornelius, North Carolina. What was unique and begs an answer to the question, what kind of church is this? Is the fact that baptism is being treated as a celebration, a big party with a tank of water at the altar, balloons, donuts with a packed out sanctuary, a worship band, and a number of pastors in and out of the tank. A long line of self-committed sinners stepping into the water, going under and rising up with a response of jubilee as they were leaving filthy stents, the penalty of sin in the bottom of the tank. Dripping wet with the freedom and release as they had followed the commandment of Jesus in the outward reflection of what he had done on the inside coming out of the water to a sea of hundreds and hundreds of clapping hands in celebration. What kind of church is this? It's a blood-bought, spirit-filled, sanctified, loving body of believers who were service-driven and led by a staff who themselves are here to serve and to lead according to the written word of God. And that's not all. There's more besides. After baptizing all those who signed up, the tank was offered to anyone who was being moved by the Spirit to join in. And they came, just as they were, dying. <laughs> dying to self, living for Jesus, and going home wet, being washed clean. What kind of church is this? It, it's a Jesus movement church. And believe me, he's alive, moving and living in this group of his followers, being dunked, and then we all receive Dunkin' Donuts. What could be more holy
Those words, those words are words of celebration. And we all joined in that celebration last weekend. And again, it wasn't about the numbers, but it was about lives that were transformed, who had experienced the power of Jesus who are committing their life to live with Him, who want to be disciples and followers of Him. That's what celebration is all about. And God was celebrating all throughout. Heaven was throwing a party, and the party wasn't bare, and the party wasn't dull. If God in heaven can celebrate with the angels, why would we not be people of celebration. Sometimes we're just too serious. Sometimes we get caught up in life and we forget about the goodness and the graciousness of God and the fact that we've been given eternal life that will live with God forever. Maybe you're here this morning and you have lost your sense of joy and your sense of celebration. Could it be that today would be a turnaround point of view and a critical, cynical spirit would be rooted out and you say, God, I celebrate you. I celebrate your world. I celebrate the people around me. I celebrate your love. I celebrate my work. I celebrate when I'm walking outside, when I'm driving in my car when I'm doing the laundry, whatever it might be, I celebrate you, God, because you're good. Have you lost your celebration? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to sing a song of great joy and celebration, but maybe you're here and your answer to my question is, yes, I've lost my sense of celebration. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come forward. And prayer teams, if you would gather more on the peripheral sides instead of here in the middle, because we're going to be singing. And as we sing, if you've lost your joy, find your way down to this place and ask one of these prayer partners to pray that your joy and your celebration would be restored. And let God put this in you again. Take his song and let it be your song. Leave this place differently than you came. Leave the seriousness. Leave the cynical spirit here. And choose a life of celebration. We're going to sing about joy in this house today. If by some chance you need to leave, please do. But if you need joy, or you just want to experience joy and celebration right now, you're invited to stay and sing with us. Let's sing. Let's celebrate.